Early on in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is teaching with his disciples, and after a while, he needs to rest. They're on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus wants to go to the eastern side because there aren't any large cities there. Subsequently, there aren't as many people there, and they can have some time to relax. I want to read to you what happens to Jesus and his disciples when they do this. Mark 4, verses 35 through 41. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, my favorite part of that story, honestly is when we see that the disciples are actually more afraid after Jesus calms the storm than they are in the middle of the storm. I mean, they were scared of the bad weather for sure, but then they realize that they have someone in the boat with them who controls the bad weather, and it affects them. But the reason that I wanted to read this to you today as we begin our time together, is because I believe in this story we see a truth about God that we would do well to remember. And it's this reality that God is never afraid of what might happen. He's not caught off guard. He's not anxious. He's not worried. And I believe we see this truth lived out through Jesus' attitude about the storm and not just his ability to calm the storm, but the fact that he sleeps through it. Almost like it doesn't even really matter. And while there are times in the Gospels where we see Jesus show great emotion, I can't think of a time where Jesus ever behaves frantically, where he's motivated by fear and doubt, where he's caught off guard by what's going on around him. And the reality is you and I, as best we can, should strive to follow his example in that. If you remember what he told his disciples not long before his arrest, before everything seemed to go sideways in his, excuse me, in their minds in John 14, he told them this. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The truth is there are lots of people, maybe even most people in our world right now, who feel like they have been living in the middle of a storm for several months, a storm that has shown no signs of breaking anytime soon. And even if you want to argue that it shouldn't be this way, I think on some level we all have to admit that perception is reality. And even if that makes you frustrated... It doesn't actually change anything about the difficulties in our world right now. But regardless of how you feel, 
I believe there are some questions that each of us has to answer because of this. Who will you be in the midst of what's going on in our world today? How will you show up for those around you? What kind of example will you be to the people that you can influence? No matter how large or small that number of people is. Years ago, I heard a simple, probably even cliche illustration, but here it is. It's this idea that each of us carries around a bucket of water in one hand and a bucket of gasoline in the other. And whenever we encounter problems, difficulties, conflicts in life, what we're really encountering are little fires. And we have two choices. We can either dump water on them and try to make things better, try to put out the fire, or we can dump gasoline on them and make things worse. As we begin a new two-part series this weekend, I want to share with you why I believe, far more than I think many of us want to admit, we're called to do all that we can to put out fires, to seek harmony and peace and unity with one another. My name is Andrew Philbeck. I'm the group's pastor here. I'm glad that I get the opportunity to be here with you today and to open God's word with you. We just finished a six-part series called The Look of Love. It was a verse-by-verse study through Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. And in that study, we talked about what living a truly Christian life looked like in our world. And it was a challenging study. It was a convicting study. It was encouraging in several ways. And I would just say that if you haven't had the chance to listen to every single one of those messages, I think that it would be really beneficial for you to do that as soon as you can. Well, my dad, Pastor Chris, he's going to be out of the pulpit for a couple of weekends. He's getting some rest and he's visiting some family and friends in Texas. While he's gone... Matt Pineda, our high school pastor, and I decided that rather than just doing two kind of individual standalone sermons, uh, we would come together and take a brief look at Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4. And we're calling this series, It's Not About Me. It's Not About Me. Because what we see in these four verses speak to Uh, us about the value and, and the power of both unity and humility. And the truth is, if my life is all about and only about me, then I'm not going to be humble, and I'm not going to experience true unity. And that's what God wants for me. That's what God wants for you. You can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read our passage uh, in just a moment. Matt and I decided to keep things simple, so we're just cutting the four verses in half. Uh, Today, I'm going to talk primarily about verses 1 and 2 in our time together as we kick things off. And then next weekend, as Matt closes things out, he's going to look primarily at verses 3 and 4. But since it's only four verses, I'm going to go ahead and read the entire passage for us today. And you can follow along if you want to. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, 
Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, there's a danger with a passage like this and a topic like this. You know, maybe it's a danger for just about every part of Scripture, but at least in our world right now, I do feel like there is a sizable risk for us today that we would read this passage, that we would think about unity and humility, and then we would immediately just think about all the other people that we know who need to hear this. And I think that danger is especially strong right now because, you know what? We probably do know lots of people who could benefit from being a little more humble, who could benefit from striving for peace and unity in their life. But the reality is, at the end of the day, you and I have to answer for how we handle things how we handle what's going on in our world right now. And we probably shouldn't waste time thinking about all the other people that we know and all the things that they need to do. One of my favorite book series is the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I know it's been a few years since those movies came out, but I've read those books multiple times and I'm slowly working my way through the first one, The Fellowship of the Ring, with my oldest son, Jack. Well, without going into too much detail, there's a powerful ring, and through a series of events, it ends up in the hands of someone named Frodo. Because it's a fantasy novel, there are all sorts of, you know, uh, fantastical things that happen and, and creatures and different stuff like that. But while he's on this journey, he's guided by his friend, a wizard named Gandalf. And at one point in the novel, he's kind of telling Frodo a history of the ring, a history of you know, this evil and this darkness that they're coming up against. And I want you to listen to what Tolkien writes here. It says, I wish it need not have happened in my life, said Frodo. So do I, said Gandalf. And so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. Do I wish that there wasn't a global pandemic going on in our world right now? Of course. Do I wish that the country that I lived in wasn't so partisan and divided and and bitter and angry? Yes. Do I wish that there wasn't so much social and economic and racial unrest right now? I do. But at the end of the day... All I can do is decide how I'm going to respond to these things. What can I do in my own small way to make things better? I love what Paul writes in Philippians 2 verse 2 when he says, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. And what Paul is writing about here is what I'm going to spend the rest of our time together talking about. And it's this reality that you and I should want, that we should seek, that we should strive for unity. Unity among believers. Unity among other followers of Jesus. 
In fact, this is going to be one of the primary things that we uh, work on in our lives on this earth. Now, because it seems like everything has to be qualified in some way, I'm going to say this. I'm not talking about ignoring the truth of God. I'm not talking about unity in the face of, 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 you know, something that clearly goes against Scripture. That's not what I'm saying here. But now that I've said that, I want to say this with as much conviction as I possibly can. We need to make unity with one another a primary focus and goal for our Christian lives. We need to make unity with one another a primary focus and goal in our Christian lives. I'm going to look at the first two verses of our text today, as I said a moment ago, but I'm going to do this in reverse order, and we're going to begin by talking about what we see in Philippians 2, verse 2. And we can't overlook the implications of what Paul says in this verse. And I'm not even talking about uh, the call for the church in Philippi to be like-minded and to have the same love and to be one in spirit and purpose. What I'm talking about is the fact that Paul says when we do these things, we will make his joy complete. And I say that because I don't know if I would have said that Christian unity, which is the way I'm kind of summing up everything here, was the thing that would make Paul's joy complete. When I think about everything that I know about Paul from his early life persecuting Christians to his Damascus Road experience to his time in prison to his missionary journeys and everything, I don't know that I would have guessed that the source of his joy would have been Unity among believers. I mean, we're talking about a prolific writer here, a church planner, a man who survived shipwrecks and experienced miraculous prison escapes. But this is what he says, and this is what we read here. And if nothing else, what that tells me is that it is a big deal. Unity is a big deal. One of the things that I learned about while I was studying and preparing for this message is the fact that Paul writes about the danger of disunity in every single letter that he wrote to churches. And it didn't matter where the church was. It didn't matter who led the church, who planted the church. It didn't matter whether or not the church was healthy or not. He understood that division and disunity and tribalism, you know, whatever you want to call it, was a big issue. It was a big issue, and it didn't take much for division to begin. And it didn't just affect the health of the church. It could tear it apart and ruin its ability to impact and witness to the world around it. I'm going to give you two examples of two different churches. The church in Corinth was not a healthy church. And I'm not going to go into any kind of details about that today. But that's just the reality. It was not a healthy church. And this is what we read in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. And at the same time, we can see in his letter to the church at Ephesus, which Ephesus was a healthy church, it's not a perfect church. No church was perfect. 
but it was a healthy church. And still we read this in Ephesians chapter 4. It says, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I'm not going to give you any more examples today, but I want you to understand, and the reason I share these with you, I should say it like that, is because I wanted you to understand that what we read in Philippians 2, when Paul is talking about the importance of, of unity and how this is making his joy complete, it's not something that we read about just for this church because it was unique and in this kind of isolated situation. This is the reality for all churches. And because of that, we have to understand and recognize that this applies just as much to us in our lives today as it did to the church in Philippi. Think about the simple illustration I used earlier about a person carrying a bucket of water in one hand and a bucket of gasoline in the other. One helps calm things down, the other stirs things up. What do you think God wants his church to be in the business of doing? And listen, I recognize completely that we have a responsibility to the truth of God's word. But that doesn't mean that we have to live out that responsibility in a way that just pours gasoline on fires all around us. And that's not just me saying that because I want everyone to be nice and everyone to get along. That's me looking at how Jesus handled the crowd of soldiers that came to arrest him. How Jesus handled the Roman leaders, passing him back and forth during a sham trial in the middle of the night. How Jesus handled being hung on a cross, still asking God to forgive the people who were murdering him. James 3, 17 says this. We actually read this not too long ago. It says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Purity comes first for a reason. But we can't be so blinded that we miss the fact that every single thing that comes after that speaks to essentially calming things down. And it's difficult for churches to be a, a beneficial, you know, calming presence that blesses and impacts their community if they're doing nothing but infighting and complaining and dividing amongst themselves. And we see that unity is important. It's, it's a source of joy even. But we still have to deal with the reality that often unity means different things to different people. We have to ask the question, what unites us? For many people, it's geographic. They have unity because they're connected by a city, a state, or a country. You know, for others, maybe it's, uh, it's educational. You know, they have unity because they went to the same school. They grew up in the same school system, or they met in the same college or university. We know 
For many people, it's political. They have unity because they vote the same way and they have the same beliefs about government. Maybe you think some of those things are foolish. Maybe you think some of those things make sense. But regardless of where you fall on this spectrum, we have to realize and understand that there are people all over the world who will look down on anyone and everyone who is different than them in any way possible. Whether it's because they're born in a different state or because they cheer for a different football team. And at the same time, we have to recognize that it's not supposed to be that way for followers of Christ. It's not supposed to be that way for followers of Christ. In fact, we should have a greater connection and a greater sense of empathy with everyone. Everyone, no matter what. Because the reality is there is one thing that actually unites us to all people. And then after that, there's one thing that unites us to all believers. The thing that unites us to all people, no matter who they are, where they live, what they believe, is this simple reality that without Jesus, we are, all of us, separated from God. This is a faith that we are born into, and it's not one that we should dismiss or forget. I came across this from Pastor Tim Keller. I want to share it with you. He writes, Historic Christians believe that our sin has made us worthy of condemnation and hell. From those living respectable lives to those leading criminal lives, all of us fall infinitely and therefore equally short of loving and serving God in the way that is due him. Therefore, we can only be saved through Christ by sheer grace. What is this baseline for connection that we have with all mankind? It is our need for Jesus. Now, of course, this is not the kind of connection, the kind of unity that brings joy, but it is a reality that should keep us, as Matt will talk about next week, humble. And though we may disagree about a great many things with a great many people, above all, our goal should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who desired that everyone would be saved. Second Peter 3 verse 9 says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Is that the attitude that you have for all people, regardless of who they are, where they live, what they believe, anything? This common fate apart from God unites us on some level to everyone. But in the church... We are called to not just a connection, but a true sense of unity. And it's not because of this common fate, but it's because of our common salvation through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. This unites us to all believers. And the truth is, when we realize that, nothing, nothing should divide us. Listen again to what Paul writes in Philippians 2, verses 1 and 2, he says, If you have 
any encouragement with being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. At one point when I was studying and trying to think about how I was going to put together this message, I thought it would be a good idea to pull out and talk about the the key words from that first verse there when Paul talks about encouragement, comfort, fellowship, tenderness, and compassion. I thought we're just going to read the Greek uh, meaning behind these words. We're going to dive into scripture and it's going to be really beneficial. And you know what? Maybe it would have been. But the more that I read this passage and the more that I thought about what I wanted to say and the more that I thought about the, the goal of unity and the power of unity, honestly, what I was left with was the simple idea that what Paul is saying here is that if you've ever had any, any real contact or any real connection with Jesus, then you can experience unity and you should Strive and seek unity. I mean, think about what we just read there. Any encouragement, any comfort, any fellowship, any tenderness and compassion, anything, any amount, any level. It changes you. It changes all of us. This is a reality that we see all over the New Testament. Think about the 12 men that Jesus chose to be his closest followers. These were 12 different men, men with different opinions on politics from a Roman collaborator to essentially a terrorist. Men with different temperaments, men with different levels of faith, men with different occupations and different socioeconomic standings. But you know what they experienced? Unity. Now that doesn't mean that they didn't argue. It doesn't mean that they didn't fight, that they didn't have their own ideas or opinions. But they were connected through Jesus. And this is what we see at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And it's a truth that carries itself all the way, not just to the end of his ministry, but to the end of time. Listen to what John writes in Revelation chapter 7. He says, I looked... And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. There is unity for those who follow Jesus and Jesus is enough to unify those who follow him. There is unity for those who follow Jesus and Jesus is enough to unify those who follow him. And because Jesus is enough, our unity doesn't come from shutting out people who don't think like us, people with other opinions or ideas. Our unity comes from a choice that we make and that choice is born out of the agape love that God has for us and that we are called to have for one another. Our unity exists when we listen to one another and strive to better understand one another. Listen, the reality is no matter who we are and where we are in our lives, the closer we get to Jesus, the more unity we have with one another. 
1 John 1 verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Of course we have fellowship with Jesus. But he says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Earlier in this message, I talked about the peace that Jesus models for us and how we would do well to, as best we can, follow his example. Well, many people think of peace and really what they think of is just the absence of conflict. And I understand that. I love the absence of conflict just as much as the next person. But when you study this in Scripture, what you realize is that he is offering us so much more Because it's not just the absence of conflict, but it's the ability to have peace in the middle of conflict, in the middle of trials, in the middle of difficulties and temptations and, you know, whatever is going on. Well, I think the unity that is a source of joy, the unity that God wants us to experience, the unity that is a powerful impact on our world, is much the same. People hear unity, and I think a lot of them think that it just means no differences, no disagreements, no conflicts. But what God wants for us is to experience unity in Him no matter the conflicts, no matter the disagreements, no matter the different opinions. And listen, I I realize, I understand that, you know, when we just read passages like Philippians 2 verses 1 and 2 and, and, you know, other parts of the Bible, uh, just a basic kind of uh, surface level reading, it kind of gives us that initial impression that it's it's no conflicts because we read about having like-mindedness and, you know, actually having the same mind. But the truth is when we allow ourselves to look a little closer, to, to, to dig a little deeper and to think about the different stories and the different people and illustrations, the examples from Scripture, we see that this unity that God wants for us that brings joy, it's not just the absence of conflict. It's a unity that is built on the foundation of Jesus and it allows us to actively strive for a common understanding and genuine agreement in a way that, quite honestly, would not be possible without Jesus. I want to wrap things up by looking at one more piece of Scripture that I hope carries some weight for us as we continue to think about this and to think about the kind of unity that God wants us to experience and the example that we can be to the world around us. Because make no mistake, our example matters. In the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John, we get what is often referred to as the high priestly prayer. Jesus is preparing himself to be arrested and so he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays. This prayer is often broken up into three parts. The first part, Jesus prays for himself. The second part, Jesus prays for his current disciples. And the third part, Jesus prays for us. He prays for all of the believers who will come later. I just want to read two verses from this third part where Jesus prays for us. John 17 verses 22 and 23. 
he says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. When Jesus is praying for all these believers who will come after he is gone, he's not praying for our holiness. He's not praying that we would have the right doctrinal values. What he's praying for is our oneness, our unity. Now, does Jesus want us to be holy? Yes. Does Jesus care about what we believe? Of course. This prayer, wonderful as it is, is not an exhaustive list of all the things that we're supposed to care about and strive for. But at the same time, because it's not an exhaustive list, honestly, what we see here is a unique glimpse at what was truly precious to Jesus. I I would say it like this because of our passage. We see a glimpse of what would bring Jesus joy. This is what was on his mind. This is what he thought about when he thought about the future believers that would come after his arrest and after his crucifixion. He could have prayed for any, any number of things. But he chose to pray for our unity. And when we live in a divided world, We can't dismiss that. We can't lose sight of its importance and its potential to impact, change, influence, bless, witness, whatever you want to say, the world around us. Would you pray with me? God, help us to be mindful of the importance of this. Help us to be mindful of how we can either hurt or help situations in our world right now. And it's not because we're trying to just avoid conflict at all costs, but it's because we are seeking unity. We want to follow your example of humility, love, and forgiveness, and grace. Not just when we are wrong, but in how we carry ourselves in every area and aspect of life. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done for us, all that you are doing for us. And we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.